to episode 243 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Ten months ago, after the spectacular revelation about an unreported tailings pond leak, followed by a 5.3 million liter spill at the Curl Oil Sands plant of Imperial Oil, I began work on the investigative series Unethical Oil. And parts one and two have already been published. You can find them on the Energy Media website. And I'm work currently working on part three, hoping to get it published in, in January. And during that time, I probably have interviewed maybe 75 experts, a lot of scientists, economists, law professors. And one of those experts is Professor Sean Fluker of the University of Calgary Faculty of Law, as are, are his two co-authors, uh, Martin Olashinsky and Drew Uchek, of a recently published blog post titled, Auditor General Updates Recommendations Unaddressed by the Alberta Energy Regulator on the Effectiveness of Regulating Closure Liabilities in Conventional Oil and Gas. Now, folks, if you followed that winding introduction, congratulations. And I probably confused you, but so Sean and I will try to uh, sort it out a little bit, but welcome to the interview, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me, Markham. Yeah, apologies for the title. It is a mouthful for sure. <laughs> hey, three professors on a on a paper. You know, we we forgive you. We we understand. Actually, we try to do better than that. Really, you know, short and snippy is always better than what we gave you. That's true. This is an unusual one for for you for you three, because uh, you do publish uh, the three of you publish together uh, quite often uh, on this topic, and we're going to get into what the Auditor General said what the AER, Alberta Energy Regulator, has done, which is basically zero. But before we do that, I, I really want to set the set the framework, set, set, set some context here for this. When I started work on the Unethical Oil series, I have to say that I, I, I interviewed you and Drew and, and Mark Doran and, and uh, others uh, who were working in this, you know, various aspects of, of this story. And and so I had a little bit of a background on it, and I knew I just I knew there was a, a big issue. That's about as much as could be reasonably said. Ten months later, I'm appalled at what I have found, and I've only begun scratching the surface. Not only what was on the record, and you know, you people like uh, you and Drew have shared uh, historical AER or regulator documents with me, and I've had insight into that, and I've. Uh, I've had I've been interviewed some former AER uh, employees. It's a mess, and the fact that the Auditor General agrees that it's a mess—that really, how important a statement is that? You know, I think yeah, for sure. That's something that really strikes me. Is uh, it's. I'm thankful and, you know, we're all fortunate that the Alberta Auditor General is, is watching this um, because, you know, you know, the regulator itself is, you know, pretty much operating behind multiple closed doors uh, on this file and, and has done so for decades. Um, and, and as a result, uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult unless you, as you've mentioned, Markham, put, you know, months and months, if not years into something to sort of try to understand it. 
um, you know, it's it's difficult to uh, to crack this nut. Uh, so the Auditor General is doing um, a significant public service here by saying, hey, look, um, and the, the report that we've commented on here most recently is an update from a report that the that the AG issued in March. And that report was the uh, result of several years auditing work, right? So so this this thing has has momentum and um, uh, and yeah, we really need we really need to keep the fire lit here for sure. Well, there are keeping the fire uh, lit under these guys is a real problem, and the reason is you've you've tagged uh, three systemic problems with the regulatory regime that contribute to that: lack of transparency, too much discretion in the AER, and the AER captured by industry interests. Now, I want to deal with the third one first before we get into the specifics of of what the AG, the Auditor General, said in your response to it. The the fact. Everybody I agreed uh, or talked to agreed that the AER is captured, but I also had some really high-profile, well-respected people say, "Yeah, but you know, yeah, you know, it's not like everybody at the AER goes to work every day, you know, and and thinks of themselves that they're in the service of you know Suncor or Imperial Oil or or CNRL. They they think that they're doing the, the protecting the public interests." And, and that they're doing the best they can within a flawed system. And maybe that's the thing that we, a distinction we have to make is that the, it, it's not like the people in the AR, and there's about a thousand employees roughly, they're not, take, they're not on the take, they're not getting bags of cash to favor the industry. The whole thing from the way that the legislation, the regulations, the system, the regulatory system, the structure of the, of, of how the AER operates, the, the influence that the the industry has on, on political culture and on on the governments, all of that contributes to a flawed and corrupt regulator. Fair fair comment. Yeah. So uh, you know, I guess when I use the word captured by industry. Um, I, you're right. I, I'm not talking about the individuals who work there. Um, that 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 phrase or that description is really, for me, meant to represent things like, you know, when the regulator goes about doing its regulatory work. Um, far too often, um, it it fails to include the public uh, in some of these, you know, really significant uh, decisions, and it structures decision making procedures without including the public and you know many of those are uh, highly uh, you know key, you know really key components of the liability management framework where the regulator just goes about coming up with what it considers to be solutions to the problem it only discusses or consults with industry and those those have those the results of those conversations have significant implications for landowners, other members of the of you know Albertans generally and Canadians generally for that matter, and they don't they, they, they don't take that input and they don't they don't they don't seem to implement it either, and and that and that's I think a, a major component of being captured by industry and the other two items that you mentioned, Markham, you know too much discretion in the regulator and lack of transparency. I mean, yeah, it's it's better to talk about capture first because those two items just feed into 
capture. And again, make capture that much more uh, pro problematic. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to how many examples we'll get to in this session, but the one that I always come back to uh, in recent times is, is just the fact that if you look at how the Orphan Well Association is governed and operates, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't include, there, are, there's, there is no public component to that governance structure yet, you know, hundreds of millions of public dollars are now being spent by that agency. And, and you know, again, the, the AER seems completely uh, uninterested, frankly, in bringing the public to the table. So, you know, again, good example of, of the, the capture at work. The um, too much discretion in the AR. I did an interview with uh, your colleague, Martin Olashinsky, uh, who uh, explained that in some detail. And so you can find that uh, listeners who want to, uh, I can't remember whether it was on a video interview, which would be on our YouTube channel, or it was in our, on, on our uh, energy talks podcast. So my apology, maybe I'll, I'll find a link and put it in the show notes, but the basically what, what in the, the way that the AER works is subject matter experts make final decisions about whether they're well applications or, you know, uh, things to do with tailings ponds or whatever the case is. And I've interviewed enough employees now, former employees to know that, that this, those decisions have a tremendous amount of discretion built into them. So the, the subject matter expert, the technical expert, the inspector, the whoever that happens to be can interpret the rules, you know, to kind of make the system work. And the problem is, as you've told me, and as Martin has told me, any legislation, any regulatory regime that is based on discretion will always bend towards, always be biased towards capture. Yeah, because the what we mean when we say discretion is that you know the, the the legislative framework or the rules that govern how the regulator operates, you know, fail to impose mandatory obligations. So, you know, really, it it leaves most of the decision making into this world of choice, if you like, and you know, you're influenced by who you talk to uh, or who you listen to, and so that's that's I think you know, really why it works out that way. But when it comes to discretion, and I know, Markham, you've, uh, you know, you've covered this um, on this particular topic extensively. One thing that maybe hasn't come up in the past for your listeners that I remember well, and it's, it really reflects this discretionary approach is even when it comes to uh, hearings. So, you know, there may be a contested applic you know, application for a pipeline or a well or what have you. And the law in Alberta is such that, you know, if you're directly affected or adverse, directly and adversely affected by an application, historically under the law, you were entitled to a, to a hearing, which means basically, look, you can, you can, you know, bring the company to the, to the room, hash it out over, um, over a day or longer. Uh, and, you know, you know, basically, you know, oppose the application or what have you and bring experts and all the rest of it. Very expensive process. You know, there's lots of problems with it. But nonetheless, historically in Alberta, you were, the law, the law granted you a hearing. And then in 2013, when the Alberta government really, you know, amalgamated and reorganized all this stuff and, you know, produced this Alberta energy regulator, um, they actually did away with that. And they made the calling of hearings 
discretionary on the part of the AER. And, and wouldn't you know it, um, the number of hearings uh, that the AER conduct, conducts now on an annual basis is a is a fraction of what they used to conduct, and and th that's empirical, um, quantif quantifi quantifiable evidence to show you that you know they you know and and who who does that benefit? Well, it benefits industry because you know their application therefore is only processed uh, on a desk basically, and you know you know that typically favors the applicant, frankly. Yeah, Mark Doran, who's a, an expert in uh, administrative law. Uh, around uh, oil and gas here uh, in Alberta makes that point all the time that you know maybe you have one or two hearings per year. That's how 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 few there are. There used to be dozens. You know, prior to 2013, there were there were dozens and dozens, and so that's a great example. Where the law actually, the Alberta government changed the rules and added discretion, and as soon as they did that, um, it eliminated access to to the regulator for you know, to contest uh, applications. That's right. And why they did it is because is industry asked them to because it, it was making the approval process cumbersome and expensive for the companies. And, yep. and so they they fa they favored the industry players o over landowners. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even at that, it's always been difficult to establish that you're directly affected. So it's not like this was a floodgate scenario, They're, you know. There weren't that many hearings even back in those days, but now, now there's precious few. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the the nine rec recommendations that the Auditor General made about the uh, Alberta Energy Regulator in March, and basically the report that came out uh, in December uh, just said there's been no progress, been nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, those those recommendations in March. Uh, so again, they were the result of uh, a several years audit. They, uh, you know, to summarize them generally, they are, you know, critical of the AER's internal monitoring and compliance approach in this area. So in other words, the Auditor General didn't see evidence that the AER is able to track its own effectiveness in terms of you know, whether some of these programs are actually making a difference on the landscape, whether that's reducing inactive uh, sites by having them abandoned or reclaimed. Um, the Auditor General, well, one of the things that I really thought was um, revealing was the Auditor General uh, found that even in the certification process for reclamation, so for example, when company says, look, we've cleaned this site up, it's back to its original state, uh, Many of those uh, uh, many of those certifications were done without a field visit, um, and, and or they were relying on third party experts um, who apparently didn't necessarily have all the necessary qualifications. So, you know, those are those are those are grievous omissions in a regulatory framework, and um, you know, the yeah, the fact that nothing's nothing's been done in relation to that is is highly problematic, and I and I think that that too. You have to remember that, you know, really the study by the Auditor General goes back, you know, four years. Um, so it's not like we're just talking about the regulator not doing something in the last six to eight months. Uh, these are these are problems that go back that go back four years. In fact, they you know they they go back to when the current approach that this liability management framework was announced by the Alberta government. And I all, always like to, rem, to remind listeners too that the, the liability management framework was announced by the 
uh, Alberta government in July 2020. It was part of a deal struck with the federal government, which related back to that one million, sorry, one billion dollars uh, in funding to address um, this uh, unfunded liability. You know, in the the uh, the inactive site. Uh, problem in Alberta and, and plus in relation to spurring work during COVID. I mean, I have to say, uh, my view is without that $1 billion grant, I'm not even sure what we'd be talking about today, frankly, in terms of what the AAR is, is doing. So when you put all that together and then you see the Auditor uh, General in this, you know, this month reporting how little has been done, it re really does make you wonder um, without that $1 billion infusion and the deal that that came with, whether we would be talking about, about an even worse situation today than we are. Uh, we should maybe a little background for, for listeners. Uh, there are various uh, categories of wells. Uh, you, uh, Sean, you mentioned the inactive well, so it used to be called inactive suspended, uh, where basically the well is decommissioned, uh, but it's not uh, sealed, permanently sealed uh, and, and reclaimed. And, it may, and there is no timeline there's never been a timeline uh, for those wells to be to be reclaimed, and so uh, some of them have sat there for decades. Yeah. And the 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 Alberta the Alberta Energy Regulator changed its liability management system in in uh, 2000, and went to you. Drew Yushak and I have done a number of interviews about this uh, for any, any listeners that want to do some background, but the the changes they made were so horrendously bad so horrendously bad that the the inactive well inventory started out at 25,000 in two in uh, 2000 the year 2000 and by the 2020 was 97,000 they quadrupled it during a period when they were supposed to be improving the performance and if there is a metaphor an example that stands for all the regulators ineptness in this that's got to be it yeah you know it's a complicated area with terminology but the, the you've summarized markham the essence of it which is to say if you just talk about wells drilled it's a drilled well it's not producing and it hasn't been you know cleaned up uh, both underground and and on on the surface and yeah we're hovering around you know, 100,000 wells, uh, inactive wells that haven't been closed. The, the number doesn't seem to be growing at the rate it was, but um, that's because we have seen public money, I think, infused into the system. Yeah. I just want to point out, it's now down to 80. And and the, the reason for that is partly the, the UCP government brought in a mandatory closure spend, uh, and that was part of it. And part of it is just that prices recovered in 2021, 2022, and some of those wells went back on into service. Yeah. Yeah, the number's hard to pin down because, you, you know, you also have to include some of these wells that don't have, uh, like there's no there's no owner, um, they're, and they're not orphans either. They're just, you know, basically nobody's taking responsibility for them. And we don't really know how many there are. So I like to stick with the, the ballpark 100,000 uh, until I see real progress. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I the, the the number I gave you was came up the, the late last time I, I checked the AER website for the latest numbers, which was in November, but, yeah. but fair enough. Okay, now 
uh, I've done inter interviews with you and Drew about financial security, and there is no financial security here. The the, the estimate of uh, Reagan Boychuk and his his group uh, did an estimate, and they think that that if I remember correctly, Wells and pipelines, maybe it was just Wells, was between seventy and a hundred billion dollars. Robert Wadsworth of the AER did a less rigorous estimate came up with $130 billion. I mean, we're talking about enormous sums here and not a lick of uh, security against their future reclamation. What did the Auditor General have to say about security? Yeah, so the auditor, so the reason why there's no, no real security being held is because the AER has been uh, using a we'll call it a financial ratio system for two decades, which you know, grossly underestimates um, liabilities. Uh, in addition to the fact that the, 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 AR, the, the, the legal regime doesn't mandate the posting of security, it leaves it in the discretion of the regulator. So it's really you know, part of the problem we talked about earlier. The Auditor General says, uh, you know, really the AER hasn't moved off that old system yet. So basically it's still operating under the flawed system or the system that everybody acknowledges is flawed for deciding when security should be posted. The rules haven't changed to require, you know, the, 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 the legislation hasn't changed to require security. So it still, you know, rests entirely in the discretion of the regulator and the transparency is not there. We don't know. The, the, the regulator will not disclose um, when it is or isn't taking security or why it's making that choice. I mean, we're, we're not, we're, you're left to guess, frankly. And you know, that even goes, I think, for you know, really specific examples where there might be a landowner who would like to know um, the answer to that question. I think, you know, um, I, would, I would say even then it's going to be very difficult. So, you know, all of these systemic problems come come to bear there for sure and 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 yeah I, I, that yeah that hasn't changed and the auditor general's report in december more or less says look eight months later there hasn't been a, a, a there's been no movement at the aar um and again it's really a four-year uh study not an eight-month study the, i want to point out because i'm sure there are, there are listeners you know scratching their head and going they never took security why wouldn't they take security? Well, they. this goes back 100 years or maybe more. Uh, the, and the reason is, is because like every other jurisdiction in North America, like Texas, Oklahoma, doesn't matter where, it's, they're all the same. Every jurisdiction prioritized expansion of the industry, profitability of the industry, attraction of capital to expand the industry, uh, government revenues from the industry and jobs created by the industry. Those were all given very high priority. Environmental liabilities were not on the priority list. They were at the bottom. And, and everybody just assumed that somewhere down the road, you know, if, if a company drilled a well, that it would just, it would reclaim it at the end of the well's life. And in, instead, what the companies did was everything they could to wriggle out of that responsibility. They, they, they dumped liabilities on little tiny companies that went bankrupt and threw the, 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 the wells, uh, the orphan wells onto the, the public responsibility. I mean, it, it was the Wild West for the longest time. That's the culture. 
that's the culture in which this industry, they have have a hundred year history of evading their financial responsibilities for environmental liabilities, for cleaning up wells, uh, pipelines, uh, facilities, the whole nine, the whole nine yards. Have I sum summarized it? I, I'm not sure I even I, I was outraged enough while I was doing it, frankly. Yeah, well, so what I what I like how I like to summarize this is to say that you know, so in Alberta, um, the the problem of you know companies not doing their cleanup work at the end of the day was certainly recognized here in the late '70s and early 1980s, and the energy regulator at the time was actually taking security um, for that purpose, and so it was but a little tiny, a little tiny bit of security. Yeah, but 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 some we were on that path. Um, I think what's really noteworthy to me is that I think that the bargain that was struck in the mid to, late, to 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 mid to late 1980s here was industry again having full the full ear of the regulator saying, look, um, you don't need to be taking security on individual facilities like this. Um, we have a better solution, and that and that solution is this um, this fund, the or what's now called the orphan fund. We will we will put money into a fund. And when there's the odd bad apple out there who doesn't do what they're supposed to, that money will be available to to do this work. The public will never be on the hook for this. And and the regulator um, agreed to that. And that's the system that we still have today. And that fund, uh, not only is it not properly capitalized, which the Auditor General, again, uh, is, you know, shining a light onto here and saying in December that nothing has changed, um, not only is undercapitalized, but it was never designed to address, you know, 80,000 inactive sites. I mean, that, that you know, the, the you know, yeah, the reality is, is, is nowhere near what the discussion was back when that structure was created and yet we're still operating under it and that's a huge huge problem the aer with the advice of the uh of the the government and the industry sets this this levy and last year it was about seventy five thousand or 75 million and this year it was 135 million and and back in the day when the deal was struck the levy was tiny now it's starting to pinch a little bit and now the the industry is trying to get out of it. They're trying, you know, they they, they sponsored before Danielle Smith became a premier last year. She was an oil and gas uh, lobbyist, and she was pushing this R Star program to clean up, you know, for the for the the government to spend six to twelve billion dollars cleaning up the industry's old messes. You know, they're trying to socialize the losses so that the industry doesn't have to pay for it themselves, even though they cut this deal. I mean, this is another example of regulatory capture, is it not? Yeah, like you know, the the levy itself, in terms of how it's calculated and and what's in, what it, what it ends up being on a year to year basis. I mean, I don't think anybody outside of industry and the regulator really knows um, what goes into that calculation. Again, it's very uh, non transparent and clearly, you know, nowhere near enough to address the inventory that's even in the Orphan Well Association. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's highly problematic. There's, there's no sort of, you know, public component to that decision-making process. And, you know, something that actually we didn't mention in our report in, in December, but it, it is out there, it was discussed, um, is there's apparently, uh, what is it, roughly 100 and, 
$25 million unspent from that federal $1 billion grant from a few years ago. And I mean, I think there's probably discussions being had as to sort of what to do with that money. I mean, do the, do the, does the federal government take it back? Does, is there an, a, you know, a new agreement to deal with that? And I've heard some people say, oh, well, that 125 million should just, um, you know, should just be you know, sent over to the Orphan Well Association. Well, uh, you know, it, I, I would say no, unless that comes with some conditions. And again, because we're talking about, you know, public money there, um, there needs to be a much stronger role for public accountability, even in the Orphan Well Association, if we're going to continue to allocate taxpayer dollars to what was supposed to be a fully industry funded mechanism. So, yeah. Okay, the the example after example of after example. So what did how did the uh, auditor general wrap this up sean uh, was there uh, i mean he doesn't have the power to compel the aer to make these changes so and he doesn't have the power to compel the government to uh, make changes to the legislation or the reg the regulatory framework that would compel the aer to change all he has is the power to point out you know he, he shines the sun sunlight uh, into the dark corners uh, and points these things out. And, you know, the, in the past, governments had a little shame and they would be embarrassed and they would fix stuff. And this government, uh, governments for a while, uh, have, have been, you know, they don't do that. And I don't know. We, is, are, they, are there ever going to be changes that satisfy the Auditor General and set this, this regulator correct? Well, I mean, the Auditor General does make references to in, in this most recent report to, you know, really some democratic concerns with the, you know, failure uh, of uh, the AER to respond here. I mean, the Auditor General is sort of sounding the alarm to say, look, in democracy, as we understand it, um, these are concerns that have to be responded to. Um, and so, you know, we, there are other mechanisms out there that we might be able to use to sort of infuse some of this accountability into this area. And, you know, the calling of a, of a truly independent public inquiry is, you know, the, you know, the, the most usual approach for this sort of thing, um, where you can undertake, uh, you know, again, a, an investigation, bringing in all sorts of experts who, you know, um, bring full transparency to why we're here and, and how we can get out of this mess. Ultimately, the Auditor General uh, is, that is that's not a role for the Auditor General, but I would say that this, the Auditor General's continued um, investigation into this area makes it easier for us to, to sort of shift into something more like that. Um, in the sometime down the road here. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm into full skeptic mode here because uh, we remember that the uh, when Jason Kenney was premier, he called a public inquiry into the uh, foreign funding of anti Alberta, as he called it, uh, energy propaganda, and and it was a fiasco. I called it a kangaroo court at the time, and it was worse than that. Uh, and they spent three and a half million dollars on it. And that was something they thought was a slam dunk. They thought they were just going to get the report that they ordered. And because there's a public uh, a public uh, inquiry act where the rules have to be followed, it wasn't oh. quite like that. 
But right? I take exception to that. I mean, that that was not a public inquiry by any uh, by by any any uh, in any way other than by name only. At least that's certainly the consensus. Right. Uh, there. So there was really nothing public about that at all, uh, in terms of how how it proceeded. So that that's where the word independent uh, comes into play here, Markham, and that is to say, you know, a, a proper public inquiry is structured in a way where the um, the people um, who are undertaking that investigation are truly independent from partisan interests, frankly. And and if you if if you don't follow that guideline at the outset, it's it's doomed to fail. And yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Which is why I called it a kangaroo court. Yeah, and and, and we know that just it was the last month of the month before, so October or November of this year. The premier contracted with her one of her closest advisors, Dave Yeager, for seventy thousand dollars to do an, a review of the AER. So yeah. rather than do a proper public inquiry, which, as as you point out, is is what should be done here, she hired one of her buddies for seventy thousand bucks to produce a report on on the on how to reform the AER. So this is a government, uh, this is a party, uh, because I guess you know Kenny was. That was actually the first UCP government. Now we're into the second UCP government. But the they they work on the same principles, and this one's worse than the, the Kenny government. And I I don't I don't I can't summon enough outrage to tell you how awful it is that some guy with that who is per, the former constituency association uh, president or was Wild Rose president. Pardon me. When back when she was the Wild Rose leader is given a sole source contract to go out and review something as complex as the Alberta Energy Regulator. Our heads, sh we should be lighting our hair on fire over this. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it yeah, it, it is, um, it, it certainly, it is baffling for sure. Um, you know, it's not just a problem with this government too. We, we're seeing more and more of this, you know, you know, in other jurisdictions as well, where existing governments are, you know, afraid of fully independent inquiries, you do see them from time to time, and they they are scathing, and they serve a really important purpose in in our in our demo, in our democratic system, and they should be reserved, right, for very significant uh, public policy issues. And there's a you know we could come up with a long list of what those have been over the last ten or twenty years, but this inactive um, site issue is one of those issues, and that's a Absolutely. For me, these these you know one-off uh, behind closed door appointments to go off and strike a report. I mean, this stuff's just noise to me. Um, and you know, typically there those reports um, are unable to produce persuasive and compelling recommendations. Why is that? Because they 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 don't they don't have sufficient procedures, and they and they don't collect from a wide enough you know body of knowledge and so as a result their findings are uh typically yeah not very persuasive yeah they're political cover that's all they are there's some there's some heat uh on this issue because of the enormity of the environmental liabilities that are at stake here and with the energy transition bearing down on the industry you can imagine a scenario where by the early 30s mid 30s this government you know these companies oil companies in alberta are not profitable anymore they're on the they're on the downslide and there will not be any revenue to to cover their liabilities the taxpayer will have to step in and 300 billion dollars is a well, big 
invoice. Yeah, no, it's the, the time is critical. And that time is of the essence, as we like to say in legal circles, because um, the Alberta financial picture is such that, you know, you know, revenues being produced out of royalties out of the oil sands are, you know, putting a, you know, adding a, a healthy amount to the bottom line. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a time limit to that, you know, whatever that is, it is, but when that money's gone, it's gone. I... So the, con the conventional sector is not, you know, the, the sector we're talking about here is not actually, it's, it's money that's being produced by the oil sands. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I want to wrap this interview up, Sean, by saying that it's, you know, we're trying to have a calm, rational discussion about a very important issue that that has enormous implications for the health of the Alberta economy, the health of the provincial government's finances, for people who are employed in the industry. I mean, this is one of those existential kinds of, it's just enormous. And that and the way it's being handled, you can't, I, I can't discuss this rationally. At some point, it just makes me real so angry. When you see how it operates, uh, when you, when you, pull the curtain back and you see how this, the regulator operates and the industry operates. It's outrageous in, it's ineffable. There aren't yeah. words to describe how outrageous it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is, you know, at all levels, it is, it is, it's an extremely uh, yeah, frustrating, uh, uh, depressing topic, frankly, when you, when you bear down on it for sure. Yeah. Well, Sean, I have no doubt that we're going to be having this conversation over and over and over again over the next number of years because none of them get resolved. The Auditor General will no doubt issue future reports pointing out that they're not getting resolved, not getting addressed by the AER or the government. And we will just, Alberta will continue on its way to the whatever Armageddon is coming uh, in the future. So, but thank you very much for this. Really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, my pleasure, Mark, and thanks for having me.